0: Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a case where your client invested $100,000 with her accountant who put her into various fake real estate investments.
1: Yes, the challenge here was that neither the attorney nor the client were really focusing on this case. So what did you do? At the deposition, I had a big stack of documents that I told her I was going to ask her to testify about and made sure she saw those documents and let her know her serious exposure. We settled for the full amount of the payments my client had paid her. We didn't even start the deposition. Litigation is a lot about understanding the psychology of your opposing party and sometimes the opposing counsel.
0: I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right. Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM 870 The Answer.
1: Brooke Lurie, and this is the Brooke Lurie podcast. With me, my good friend and producer Ari David. Always a pleasure, truly, truly. Um, look, we, we uh, talk a lot these days about what's going on in college, right? You talk, you hear the college is the new rape culture. It's the um, it's the area where there's uh, the free speech zones and the you know uh,
2: microaggressions,
1: microaggressions, and safe spaces. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I want to see, safe spaces. <laughs> exactly right. Um, and and I find it fascinating that. That they actually have this, this mantra where they could get away with this kind of garbage, right? And the amazing thing is that people get so swayed. I mean, I remember listening once to the Dennis Prager show, and this one woman, a girl, uh, I guess she came in as a girl, right? It became a woman during college, I suppose. And, That's
2: a really disturbing image. Yeah, it's true. <laughs>
1: Now, but I'm talking about from a purely legal point of view, right? She yes. goes in 17 or almost uh, you know, 18. And and uh, by definition she she's a woman, she's uh, of major age, right? Anyway, she's on the show and she goes into to her college, I forget what it was. And she discovers that she's a lesbian in her sophomore or junior year.
2: I must have been hiding under a desk.
1: Exactly. <laughs> And uh, so Dennis said, "Do you find that you uh, had a sampling of this, this, uh, was a, this, this inkling of a feeling that, that maybe you liked women, preferred women over men, and, and you know, before you went to college? No, no, I was uh, avowedly heterosexual. I loved uh, looking at uh, men without their shirts and, you know, talking guy talk, And, uh, and so what was it that, that uh, you feel made you?" And, and he didn't tell her what to say. He didn't lead her down a path or anything. She simply said, I just learned from my professors to be more open about my sexuality. And I was told to try different things. And I decided to try that. And I liked it. And I wanted to be a lesbian now. So she learned this stuff. Okay.
2: $50,000 a year yeah. before room and board right? for that. Right. Good job, parents.
1: <laughs> well, it's a, it's, a, it's a total loss and and I it, you have not just you know people become lesbian or gay in college or but you also have of course people becoming communist or extremely liberal, let's put it that way um, or, or they reorient their entire way of thinking about politics I don't know who said it uh, you go to college so that you can unlearn whatever your father told you and everyone says, haha that's interesting yes, that's the the dynamic that's the standard it should be no I taught you these things because I want you to maintain these things, not to, not so that it's all undone. And I certainly ain't going to pay for it so that you can undo everything that I've taught my children. And so, but nevertheless, they go about doing that, right? They'll teach you Israel is a hateful nation. They'll tell you that the Palestinians were such a, you know, lovely, innocent refugee source of people. Um, they'll teach you that, uh, America is bad, of course, that it, it's, its entire history is uh, defined by slavery as opposed to everything else. Um, they'll, they'll tell you that um, we, we didn't really um, uh, achieve all the greats, greatness in sciences and that other countries' cultures are, are just as good as our own culture. Um, they'll tell you that men and women are the same. and Everything about it is completely backwards from what reality says it is. And I I think back to my college days at Stanford. Stanford was a a fairly liberal school, maybe not as liberal as Berkeley, but pretty gosh darn liberal. And I I know that I never really wavered in my conservatism at the end of the day. I, I was always very cynical about what I was seeing on campus. Yes, I was an atheist my freshman and sophomore year. But as I always say, you know, as an atheist, I was still very keyed up on God. It was a very important part of my life. There are atheists that, that are dismissive atheists, is what I call them, who just think that believing in God is a silly thing, and they just, it's nonsense, and then they want to move forward, and they just want to focus on science, as they, as they call it, and logic, and just improving lives, and, and, you know, God is an impediment to all that. For me, and I think I speak for a lot of Former atheists uh, I was an atheist But who but was consumed by God I was hostile to God But God was very present in my life Whether I realized it or not Okay, Are you with me so far? Alright, good um, And so it, it was, God was, was in my life all the time And I noticed That I'm looking at my Friends and a lot of them have changed a lot and they changed during college. I saw them changing. And they changed economically. They, they believed the government should be doing this, that should be doing that. Um, uh, the, one of the phrases I remember learning was that um, male sexuality can only, be, can only blossom with the opening of female sexuality. And, and, and strange phrases that really mean nothing uh, when you actually kind of dig deep a little bit. And I, I really wanted to understand... One thing And it's a question that I think Dogs a lot of the listeners to this show And to my Sunday show And for that matter to conservatives altogether Here it is Go to college And they change To become liberal Right? I mean you feel You see very few people going to college And becoming more conservative, right? I mean there are some uh, Maybe because they belong to a certain group or whatever And God bless those people <laughs> But by and large The transition in college, in the traditional elite colleges, and for that matter, mainstream colleges, is that you run the very real risk that your child will will become a liberal. And And the question is, why some and not others, right? I mean, I'm one of four children, and I'm the only one who remained conservative. I had my liberal flirtations, but I was never a strong liberal, and and definitely not in college, strangely enough. And I I, I saw, not only was I conservative, but I saw liberalism with tremendous cynicism. And my brother, uh, who had a conservative streak within him, he became a liberal in a military academy, no less, believe it or not. okay. Um, I won't mention the academy. Uh, my two sisters, uh, wonderful as they are, you know, they probably always had liberal streaks within them and they maintained their liberalism and, and such. But I, I think they actually became more embedded in their liberalism as a result of being in college. They, they found uh, not, not just uh, solace in it, but also great support among their friends and their, their professors and such. And so I, start, I was really intrigued. Why did I become, why did, why, why did I? maintain a conservatism? Why did I embrace conservatism? Why did I feel even stronger in my conservatism while being in a very liberal college campus? And and why is it that anybody maintains their conservatism? And so, I was really interesting. I was studying myself. I want to know, what, what was it that makes me tick, that made me stay conservative, my brother not, and my sister is not? So, I go through the, the basic possibilities, right? I, one of them is uh, you meet a boyfriend or girlfriend, depending on whatever. And uh, that boyfriend or girlfriend is conservative or liberal, and you find yourself kind of just getting swept up on the emotion. Because after all, you know, romance is a very powerful thing. OK. And yet, you know, I had girlfriends in, at Stanford that were very liberal. They didn't sway me. I mean, I respected them. But they didn't sway me. That didn't really stick with me. I didn't. It wasn't a powerful enough thing. What about professors? You know, there was this or that professor, and they they seem so erudite and they seem so witty when they mock this or that president. In my days, it was it was President Reagan. He was he was president at the time that I was in college, and uh, they would mock him for his you know alleged stupidity uh, and for his alleged danger and such. And I remember seeing this or that political um, uh, commentator come to campus and everyone would cheer for him and such. And I thought, well, these people were smart and they're standing up for this, this liberal guy, so maybe I should do the same thing because I think I'm a smart person. So, so why didn't I stand up with them? Why wasn't I excited about them? I saw through it. So, and, and the professors, you know, when they would say something Um, very liberal it it just didn't resonate with me so I don't know if the professors did anything I I met many fantastic professors many of them who who were very liberal but none of them swayed me if anything the ones that spoke about economics they made me more conservative even though they themselves might be a little bit liberal so then there was the anti-apartheid movement that was also a big thing And I thought, you know, maybe it's a a question of of being swept up in the movement, like during the hippie movement, right? I mean, in the 70s and such, there was the anti-war. People were all about that. I know a lot of people who kind of became very liberal as a result of their experience in college during the 60s and the 70s, right? And in my time, it was the anti-apartheid movement. We had sit-ins. We had people trespassing on bursar's offices. We... We, we had a whole bunch of stuff. We had, you know, they were trying to revive the 60s. That was clear. But nevertheless, people were having a lot of fun, and, and there was great sense of purpose in, that, in those days. And I, I thought it was all silly. I just, I found it to be, I was remarkably cynical about that, too. I felt that they were doing it solely to revive a sense of the past, that they wanted to believe that they were fighting something similar to fighting white segregationism uh, from the 50s that they wouldn't have done this had it been anything but white and black. They would have – it had it been, let's say, a Muslim and or, or Hittite or, or – um, Hindu. Hindu, rather, sorry. Hindu. Uh, you know, anywhere else in the world, uh, some sort of segregation going on there. They, they wouldn't give a crap about that. I mean, I saw that. I saw that intellectually. Um, and I, that's why I was so cynical about it. And I didn't believe that they were truly serious about it. So I wasn't swept up in that movement either. And I thought, what is it about me and what is it about so many of my fellow conservatives that caused them not to change? And I figured it out. The answer is a true core faith in God. That's right. Even I as an atheist still had God within me and I, I knew that I had to nurture, that, the, that I had to answer to God all the time. As much as I fought him, I still respected God. And then, uh, you know, midway through my junior year, I, I truly embraced God. And I, I just, I saw everything with great clarity. I saw the nonsense that was surrounding me. There was no way I would ever drink this Kool-Aid from liberalism. And that, to me, was a core moment. When I, when I saw that within me, I knew I would never be a true liberal of any kind. Yes, I, when, when Clinton became president, there was a moment where I flirted with that, and I, I mistakenly, mistakenly thought that he was actually helping the economy along, and I made the correlation mistake, right? Where, because the president at the time was Bill Clinton, and the economy was doing well at the time, therefore, the president must be doing it. It was a mistake. But the, the core belief was that he was doing conservative things, and that I liked. So anyway, that's another, another story altogether. The point is my conservatism really didn't wane. And I think the reason why it was because I had a core faith in God. Core, okay, not just a passing spirituality. And, and for parents out there, I, I, my guess is that the vast majority of students who go into college with a true deep understanding of the Torah of the New Testament, as the case may be, a true appreciation for God, they will not become liberals. Okay? That's, that's a very big deal. Now, that there are exceptions. There always are exceptions. But your best bet to immunize your kids from the nonsense of college, to, to give them the clarity to be cynical enough. Yes, they will be the cynical ones. That's the irony. They claim us to be simplistic and without thought. But they're the ones the liberals are the ones without true cynicism. It is belief in core God that gives you the the appropriate skepticism that makes you see garbage and know how to fight it. Okay? And I want to touch upon a historic event uh, shortly that that really emphasizes that point. I'm so fascinated by this. So so teach your kids God. Understand that every... Every um, student that I knew that was a deep Mormon, for example, they, they, they have great faith, they're Mormons. Not one of them got sucked into this nonsense. Okay? Not one. I really admire that. And they would, they would think as deeply and as cynically and skeptically as I did. They would say, well, it just seems to me that, you know, the." The economy doesn't work that way, the supply and demand doesn't work like that, you have to think about this and who's going to spend this money and how are we going to raise this money and you know, why South Africa as opposed to India and Pakistan and you know, why is Israel a bad country when the, the Arab world is so horrendous as it is. I mean, they, they thought like that. They were very deep thinkers and they had a deep faith. And they had an anchor by which to see everything with clarity. And that was true with my, my other deeply spiritual friends who had a core belief in, in Christianity or Judaism, the really Orthodox. They knew what they were talking about. Now, again, there are always the exceptions, and I, and I don't need to hear anecdotes. I'm talking about generalities. If you want to immunize your children, that's how you do it. Now, I was telling you, I was going to teach a, from a small anecdote in history. Uh, Ari, you know about eugenics, right, eugenics movement. Now I'm writing a book about, uh, about, about God and the dangers of atheism And I stumbled upon, among many other things the, you, you really can't talk about the, the 20, 20th century And all its evils and everything else When you're talking about Hitler And you're talking about fascism and Stalinism and everything else You really can't talk about it without also talking about eugenics the eugenics movement started in the late 1800s, oddly enough, by the, the nephew, or maybe cousin, was it, of Charles Darwin. How do you like that? He was so taken by Charles's, Charles Darwin's um, uh, origin of the species that he took it to the next level. He said, well, what shall we learn from this? And he decided that it's best that we try to have a survival of the fittest um, collectively.
2: He didn't listen to your episode of you can guide it but not direct it. There you go. <laughs> that's exactly right. Because he essentially decided he's going to direct evolution, human evolution. Oh,
1: oh, I like that. And that's a that's a good
2: That's what eugenics
1: is. Yeah, that's what it was. And and we we know that eugenics led to horrible things. Eugenics very sadly really Kind of caught hold here in America. We were the ones who really caused the flourish. I forget the last name. I think it was Roy was the last name, and he made it into something, whereby the notion was: listen, we live in a time and age where we we need to be progressive, and it, it was tied in with the progressive movements. The eugenics movement and progressivism was tied, you know, hand in hand.
2: And all of liberalism is all about human perfection That's right Because it eliminates God, which is the perfect one right. For those of us who believe in God mm-hmm. Who understand that humanity is never going to be perfect right. These people, absent of God, say Let's perfect humanity right. and we'll become God
1: Right, and of course, no one asks the question Of who makes the decision As to what is perfect Yes. Why is five foot, you know, eleven and a half Perfect versus five foot seven What? Maybe we're supposed to all be five foot seven Maybe we're all supposed to be uh, six foot four.
2: I don't know. Yeah, it gets back to the, one of my favorite sayings about liberalism is they love to have the death camp, but they always want to fight for who holds the clipboard at the entrance. <laughs> that's true. Oh,
1: wow, that's great. Fantastic. Why don't you just take over the show? That's a good one. I no, really like that's that That's why one. I
2: produce this thing. Oh, yeah, Keep you on track.
1: That's here. right. Thank you very much. <laughs> and you'll see how I connect this yeah. to you what we were talking You can, of course, to.
2: use that quote in your book with the proper pre- attribution here.
1: <laughs> I really appreciate that. Um uh, what what uh, you'll see how I'm going to connect this to what we were talking about before. It's not just a random thought. So eugenics, of course, g- grabbed hold here, and the notion was let's get rid of the undesirables, right? Because we're, we want to march forward with society, and we can't really reasonably march forward with all this dead weight of you know sickly people who are not producing for society, and we need to kill them off, or at least sterilize people who we think are going to produce kids that are unproductive for society.
2: And also keep the historical context of this. This is in the wake of the end of slavery, but suddenly there's this huge population of blacks that no longer served a purpose, and we can't let them breathe, they said to themselves. Right, That's,
1: that was the, the thinking back then. And there was this rampant anti-Semitism, anti, um, too, and anti-black um, uh, uh, mentality, and they wanted to prevent blacks from, uh, from uh, having more children. Uh, likewise, by the way, the minimum wage, we talked about this That was actually an effort to uh, yeah, keep blacks
2: from getting jobs
1: Exactly right yeah. Ugh, it's just, it's, The history is it's so, so important huh? So, okay, let's put that aside for a second So the eugenics movement Had this, and there's a famous It went all the way to the Supreme Court at some point Where, I think it was Indiana uh, Decided that it needed to Sterilize this one woman Who in turn Who was um, uh, Retarded Okay, some sort of retardation. She had an IQ of 70 or 60 or something like that. And her mother apparently had about the same IQ and her grandmother had also a similar IQ. And they sterilized this woman. And the famous line, I forget who, would, who said it, is uh, affirming the sterilization. Three generations of idiots is enough. Quote, unquote. It's such a dark phrase to hear to justify the sterilization of anybody, that, that you could, somebody could just take over your reproductive systems and force you to not, uh, to not produce. And this, this mentality took hold so aggressively, and it seems so logical to so many people, um, that it, it caught hold by Hitler, who in turn expanded it to the horrific way that he did, and he actually put it into practice deciding that Jews were inferior and using the measurements of the cranium and such and the hooked noses and, you know, whatever his crazy explanation to to justify the murdering of a, a certain group of people, he used eugenics as the ultimate rationale. It was a lot. For him, it was logical. It was crazy, but it was logical in his own crazy way. And he was presenting it as a scientific, rational way of getting rid of undesirables. Okay. And not because he hated Jews. Obviously, he did hate Jews, but that was his way of doing it. And surprisingly, eugenics—not surprisingly—eugenics seemed to lose favor once World War II ended, and everyone saw what
2: the eugenics. films that uh, Eisenhower yeah. made. Right, and be, people
1: began to realize it. So, mind you, though, eugenics was very popular from the nineteen twenties uh, through the uh, through the actually through the 19, late 40s. And it, it lost favor precisely because people saw what happened with eugenics being used as Hitler used eugenics. And it, it lost favor. But strangely enough, it still continued on until the very early 70s. People were still sterilizing people on the grounds that they were incompatible with what society might want. And uh, so... You know, This person might have a Down syndrome child This person might have a child that is deaf This child might have a retarded child uh, you, you get the idea And it kept on going like this Until finally they said that's crazy this is, this is. And now we look back on it Ari, and this is my point Like what the frig Happened here This is craziness That our, our country could Embrace this monstrous notion Of sterilizing people for the, some sort of greater good. I mean, yeah, you know, slavery is bad. Of course, it's horrific. You can never sub- subjugate people. But we're talking about, you know, forcibly grabbing people, getting into the reproductive systems, and, and ripping it out, so to speak. Whether they liked it or not. I mean, that's pretty monstrous. And the abortion movement was very big. In the well,
2: abortion movement was part and parcel of this Of the eugenics. If you want to get into Margaret Sanger That's exactly right A proponent of, of eugenics And the founder of a little organization called Planned Parenthood
1: Right, and she was also very racist herself Thank you very much And Hitler was a fan she, Oh, very much so Okay, so, you know, we look at the slavery times As a dark period in American history But of course it was a dark period in, uh, throughout the world But that's another story But let's just talk about America it's Certainly a dark period but we should look at the eugenics movement as it, a very dark period, very strange, right? Certainly, even a liberal today would look at that and say, that crap ain't right, okay? That was wrong, wrong, wrong. And they'll blame different people, and they'll, they'll say, no, that had nothing to do with liberalism, that had nothing to do with real progressivism, they, they can argue all they yeah,
2: want. George H.W. Bush's father was a big fan of it. You or, know, whatever. whatever, yeah,
1: they'll say, they'll say crap, yeah. right? But we can all agree that it was bad. Okay? Just like we can say slavery is really bad, and some people can say, well, who are the real people who uh, supposedly liberated um, uh, slavery, uh, liberated uh, the blacks from slavery? Well, Lincoln would have been a Democrat, blah, 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 I get that. Uh, But the reality is slavery is bad. We accept that. And eugenics is also very bad and monstrous, okay? We agree with that. And I think to myself, would I be a proponent of eugenics? Had I been an adult in the 1920s, 30s, would I be one of these people saying, nodding his head saying, yeah, good to, uh, good to get only good people. Sterilize those uh, people that uh, are going to produce bad children. Let's, uh, let's do something about that. Would I be one of those people? And the answer, I know, is no, I would not be. And do you know why? For the same friggin' reason why in college, I did not buy this crap from the liberal university. That's why. The answer is God. And I did a study about this, and I, I started researching this deeply because it's a very important part of my book. And I thought, you know, it would be clear that the churches and the synagogues were all against eugenics. And that they were rallied against it, and there was a big program against it and such. The truth is, that's not true. But I'll tell you who was really against it. The only people who were really against it were the Orthodox Jews and the, the true Christians. They knew that it was wrong. They fought against it, part and parcel, all day long.
2: Because they knew it was messing with God's will.
1: They, they knew it was horrendous. They, they, they didn't have to question it. They didn't. It wasn't. They didn't have a vote about this. They knew that it was wrong. It just like they knew slavery was wrong.
2: Yeah, but I, when I say against God's will, because both it's monstrous yeah. and it messes with well, that,
1: that, that's all true. those things. That too. But it, it's just clearly so against the, the, the Ten Commandments. It's against everything. It's so blatantly obvious to us. It's obvious to us now, but it wasn't obvious to the reform world in Judaism or to the so-called Reform world in Christianity that was constantly trying to change itself to placate the needs and, and keep the congregation. Even back then they were doing that. The, yeah, world, the world was changing much more dramatically back then in the turn of the century from, from um, 1800 cities. to
2: 1900
1: than it, than it was changing in this most recent turn of the century. Much more so.
2: Yeah, and the Jewish communities that were Orthodox were constantly trying to fit into the societies constantly. around them and say, we're not like those wackadoo Jews you think of when you see the cartoons right. depicting them in yeah, propaganda. We're, we're good Jews. We're just right. business people.
1: Now, I, I should have started off by saying virtually all of the—there there was no atheist that, that denounced eugenics. All of them—every non-religious uh, organization was fully on board with the eugenics movement. That was a very strong correlation— so I should have started with that. Uh, but even, even within the, the church and the synagogue, there were certain groups that were supportive of it because for their own special interests, and, and sadly so. But the core believers, the ones who really knew what they were talking about, who really knew Torah, who really knew what Jesus was all about, they knew this crap ain't right, and they fought. And those were the only ones, my friends, The only ones, okay? No secularist said this was wrong. And shame on you for supporting this. And we get to look back in time now, we we do judge them. They were wrong. And we see that clearly now. And I'm saying to you, in the same way that I saw the, the crap that I saw in the liberal university, I think I would have seen the crap I saw in eugenics and how monstrous it is. And I think you would too And every deep orthodox rabbi And every deep orthodox Christian Every evangelist Would, evangelist would know that A- Anybody who is pro-life Would be against The eugenics movement And thankfully so
2: And that's one of the reasons they are pro-life yeah. Because they're against that kind of mentality exactly. That kind of idea That human beings are disposable my, my,
1: And the whole point of this my friends Is that you will never see Clearly Unless you have a true embrace of God. Because until you have that true embrace, you will believe in anything. No matter what the the fancy word is that they have, du jour, as they say. Whether it's eugenics, or the anti-apartheid movement, or Keynesian economics, or minimum wage. You'll believe in all the crap that's out there. Don't be fooled. And the only way to make sure that you'll never be fooled is have a core understanding that God is real, God is everywhere, and God knows. This is Brock Lurie. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
0: Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a case involving a $220,000 promissory note and you won a trial, but later discovered that the defendant had transferred all his assets? Dennis, when judgment debtors don't want to pay, they may shift assets over
1: to their relatives, asking them to hold them till the coast is clear. How did you get the payment? The defendant had transferred title to two commercial buildings. We convinced them to admit it was an illegal transfer. That led to to a great settlement with guarantees from relatives with penalties. And don't you know, they're making payments every month on
0: time, like clockwork. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie & Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to The Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer.
1: Thanks so much for tuning back in. Um, one of the uh, topics that, you know, kind of dovetails from what we just talked about, I, I really like that topic about understanding, you know, w- the moral clarity to, to have uh, a cynicism. Let's put it that way. To be able to be skeptical of uh, the latest and greatest new ideas and, and the madness that might ensue from those latest and greatest ideas, even if everyone else is consumed by them, right? You have a core vision of what God wants from you, and you work with that. And this dovetails to the next kind of similar concept that Ari wanted to bring up, which I, I like very much, which is who will fight when they see bad things happening? Let me tell you a story that um, I, I witnessed myself, well, just after the fact, I suppose. About six months ago, I, you know, we live in Brentwood, and there's a, a park. It's called Douglas Park. It's on 26 in Wilshire here in Los Angeles and it's a beautiful park and I go there all the time with my kids and really enjoy it, it's very peaceful and one day I, I went there with my kids, it was 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a weekend and I saw a bunch of kids all from the same family there were probably about 7 of them it was a very large family and they, I think the age did range between 4 and, and 14 and It was clear, because I saw their parents, that it was a Muslim family. Uh, I'm going to put it out there. You know, it's not because they're Muslim one way or the other, but you'll see where I'm where I'm going with this. And the kids were wild. They were just all over the place, and they were screaming. And you know, you could say kids scream all the time, but these kids seemed to have no perception that there was a universe around them at all that there are other people in the park. Anybody that was in their way, they seemed to push over. Um, and it was, a, it was a strange thing. I noticed that, and I just thought these kids were out of control. But I was about to say something, and then the parents saying, okay, let's go, yalla, which means let's go in, in Arabic. And the kids at some point were receptive to that, and they left with their parents. And about five minutes later... I was just kind of, you know, checking my iPhones and such. And, and I saw this other parent, a, a woman, and she, uh, she was there. And I said, you know, did you see those kids? Um, really kind of unusual to see those kids kind of behaving the way they did. They seemed to be out of control. And I hope that, you know, your kids were not some of the kids that they seem to kind of not really consider the rights of, so to speak. And she said, oh, it's far worse than that. Were you here the entire time? And I said, no, I just got here, you know, 10 minutes ago. Oh, you, you missed something that was really very horrifying to see. And I said, well, what, what are you talking about? And at first she said, you don't want to hear this. It's, it's not a, a pretty story to hear. And I said, no, please tell me what happened. It's with these kids? Yes, with these kids. Well, what do they do? well, you know how they have this pond in the back to um, toward Wilshire where there are a lot of ducks and there are a lot of turtles. And I said, yeah, sure. Well, these kids went to the turtles. They thought they were kind of cool and they thought it was theirs for the taking. And they pulled these turtles out of the pond and put them on the pavement and then started jumping on them just around the shelves. And these turtles are starting to flatten themselves out in the process. And I, I was just so shocked. And then she continued on and, and the kids were just laughing and laughing. Thought, I think it was the funniest thing. And I said, oh my God, that's, that's horrifying. I mean, especially in this, as you point out, Ari, uh, in this area of town where everyone is so animal loving and so understanding of animals and such, as I am too, we all love animals. And I, just, I, and I said, did anyone stop them, call the police, do anything like that? No, 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 nothing like that at all. I, we were just so horrified. We didn't know what to, to, to do with ourselves. And, and then she kind of left, the woman who told me the story. She seemed very disturbed, but she left. And I was just left with this story. I, I, you know, I couldn't do anything anymore. For the, for the rest of that time that I was there. I was so upset about it. And I, I wish I'd known, of course, I would have right away confronted this family. And, and I just thought, who would fight? Who would say something if right in the presence of the moment would they stand up and say, this ain't right? And I, and I wonder, Ari, I don't think many people would because they're so afraid these days. They... And even this woman said, you know, I, I don't know. I, I didn't want to get involved. And it's so much easier to not get involved, right? She, you know, I don't know if she's an atheist herself. I don't know if she's agnostic. I don't know to the extent of her religiosity. But my guess is that she's not a full-on, deep, deeply devoted Christian or evangelist or Orthodox Jew, for that matter. Now, I'm not saying that all Orthodox Jews and all deeply evangelist Christians are totally brave, especially if it's a woman versus you know, you know, some dangerous kids, or even a, 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 an older male parent. But I, I do think that the people that would stop these people would go up and they would, be, they would be tough with them. Those people would be people who have a deep core sense in God one way or the other. Deeply committed religiously. They'd be able to say, this ain't right. And I, I just didn't see that that day or anyone. And, and these people left the park, thinking that the park was theirs for the taking. They had no idea, I mean, they should have had an idea that what they were doing was horrifically wrong, but they, they certainly didn't act like it. They acted like it was uh, like going to the beach and um, you put your towel down and, you know, they had about as much compunction about stomping on those turtles as you and I would have about,
2: Stop you know, on a seashell,
1: a seashell, or just picking up a seashell, but breaking to look a at it. seashell, breaking it's already dead,
2: it. you're not hurting, yeah,
1: you're not hurting, <laughs> or you know, skipping a, a stone across the the water to see if it skips, you know, no big deal. To them, that's what these turtles were. They they had no sense of uh, the, the, the notion that these animals had some right to live, some dignity to them. Uh, some right to not suffer. And yet I, I, just, I just couldn't fathom it. I think that's the, the thing that bothered me so much was that, that any person could not for a moment stop and think about the pain that this animal must be suffering and not, in some level, empathize with it. You see, folks, it, it was so real. It was so just five minutes ago, literally, for me, that I was there, that this woman described this whole situation to me, it's not some faraway thing that's going on over there. That that this Middle East business, you know, where horrific things happen to a Jordanian air force pilot, for example, burned alive in a cage, which is horrible enough. Of course, it's or, do it's far...
2: the, or the dogs on the street of Iran, or some donkey being thrown off a cliff in Syria. Yeah, no, this isn't twelve thousand miles away from here. It's down the street.
1: Down the street. And I, and I, it's just, when it, when it comes right down your street or five minutes earlier, as the case was with me, it, it really shocks you to the core and you feel like, oh my God, I'm not, I'm not really safe. It's coming to a theater near you.
2: It's playing in yeah. a theater near you.
1: I, I um, anyway, I, I just didn't know what to do. That But the who will fight thing came to, to me and, and to us. You and me, Ari, think about who would, who would stand up for that. And, 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 and just one point, because I want to hear what you want to say, Ari, but I, I just, the, the who will fight point is a very important one. And I ask you, the listener, who do, obviously we want people standing up, right? We want them standing up and saying, cut that crap out. And we, in fact, we don't, we don't mind if they say the S word while they say it too.
2: Okay. That's what those words are for. Yeah, those seven yeah. words are for those people those and moments. Hillary Clinton.
1: Yeah, <laughs> for those moments in time when you see such barbarity, that's the time that you yell out those words, and you say, "Take that attitude and get the f out of here right now. I'm calling the cops right now." Um, and I, I, we want people like that, right?
2: I mean, we yeah, want some- so it makes a safe and good society, right? And a polite society. And and
1: something creeps us out when nobody does anything and lets these monsters, frankly, and these children were monsters, that they get away with it. And you feel like you've been molested. Dominated. Dominated. And no one's doing anything about it. That's the worst part of it, right? I mean, it's bad enough to go through a molestation, to be attacked, and then no one is doing a thing about it. And that's the thing that frightens us all, Right. so we want people to fight we want them to stand up that's a better way of putting it and and who are these people that are going to stand up who what do they look like is there such an animal you see my liberal friends you've created a world where such a man is to be downplayed is is to be papoo is to be perceived as primitive to be um, backward
2: and even dangerous. Or comical and pathetic and oh look at that manly man who likes to shoot his gun and go hunting. Right. No, we want the sophisticated man, like Trevor, who enjoys his frappuccino and his open toed shoes. Right. And wears his crop pants and his tank top. Right. That's a real uh. man with don't worry, he's male, he has facial hair. <laughs> right. Or or to give them a little bit of credit, they
1: they will think, well, Let's be diplomatic about it Let's go up and try to reason with, with people like this but, but, but then I ask you How do you reason with such people? Do you say to them You know what, perhaps You shouldn't be doing that It's probably not nice for the turtles to do that Right? No, of course that's not what you do You, you go right up and you say Cut that crap out Cut that S-H-I-T out Right now, right this second Get the F out of here I'm calling the cops, like I said There's no other solution. There's no diplomatic way of talking about this. You don't say, well, just step on one turtle, and that's good enough, right? Or three out of six is is fine, but no more, right? I mean, that's that's silly talk. You wouldn't expect that out of of somebody who's going to be taking charge. Somebody who's going to be taking charge is going to be speaking aggressively, um, to the point, and very demanding. And that's what works in a situation just like this. And you know what, folks? This is an everyday occurrence that might happen to you, and you need to be ready for it. You need to understand that an ugly situation like this, maybe not turtle stomping, but something aggressive, like uh, some men harassing a little girl. Okay that's very possible.
2: Or setting an animal on fire or vandalizing a, a synagogue yeah. right in front of you. You might say or kicking a or kicking a dog or, mercilessly. Right. Any sort of thing that you know reveals total psychosis in and that this person is dangerous and capable of right. a lot worse. Now I want to make a quick point about the, <clears throat> the people in this park. They don't we're not talking in my opinion hearing this story it would be great if some alpha male like you or I were there to put a stop to that. Yeah, If we were allowed to carry our, our weapons concealed Even better Okay But the fact that in this highly technically Adept and equipped world No one turned Pulled out their cell phone And shot a video of it And then when the people walked to their car Took a quick picture of the license plate Called up the police Got the police to come Showed them the video Showed them the license plate And said go get them for animal cruelty Right Good point. Oh, that'd be great. And then put it. If the authorities say, "Well, they're Muslim," you know, cultural sensitivity. Say, "I'm putting that on mm-hmm. YouTube. I'm saying that to the Santa Monica Mirror, the uh, the Daily Breeze, you know, these lo- the L.A. Times, and 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 the local news, and we'll see if the the p- cops don't do anything about it then."
1: Right. I know, but that's that's the level that has to. But
2: get but to. the point <clears> is that <throat> doesn't even take alpha male stuff. You just stand back. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're doing it. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna film it. Right, that's right You could be At least
1: you'd be Doing something there And you'd be taking action You would be it, you, you could even you be had, Passive about it you,
2: We talk about stories In the Holocaust And I, I love this phrase Doing enough If you w- lived And you were An intimidated person In Poland Scared of the Nazis And right. they came in And built a death camp Next to your village If you just casually Walked by the electrified fence Saw the Jews inside And threw them An apple once in a while right. You were doing enough Right You were doing enough Yeah that's true. Okay? And I know you couldn't arrest a machine gun and kill a Nazi necessarily, but just one little apple to one starving Jewish child or, or emaciated man behind the electrified fence would have been enough. If someone right. just took a goddamn picture of their license plate, that right. would have been enough. That's
1: right. Um, you, you know, and the, the, the feeling that one gets, and I say this as a man, when something like this happens and you don't do anything, about it and, and that it just the, the scene goes away and there's that moment where you realize you can't it's it's done, you can't do anything about it. That's the time you get that empty feeling like, where's my manhood?
2: Completely emasculated. What, what have yeah. I yes
1: you know, who am I now? What you feel so empty inside, right? And you realize I can't I can't live with myself if I don't do something about this right now. And that's that's the that should be the litmus test for you is like Will you be able to live with yourself after this? Or will this be a moment where you forever replay it in your mind over and over again? Why didn't I? Why didn't I? Why didn't I? Do you really want to
2: be there? Yeah, and it shows. It's a perfect example of why it's better to break a few omelets on the way to make an egg and accidentally make a person feel uncomfortable than to do nothing and be permanently emasculated. Because what if, okay, you make a mistake, they're doing something innocent, you yell at someone's kids... Okay, so you say, I'm sorry, it was a misunderstanding, and all the better. Mm-hmm. But think about the agony. Anyone standing up would have saved the next turtle that yeah. was going to be plucked from that yeah. pond and smashed on the sidewalk. Yeah. And what next? Were they going to set the ducks on fire? I mean, yeah,
1: who knows? Yeah, Or, or pluck them, whatever, yeah, right? God knows it.
2: what. You know, rip their heads off. Those ducks at that park, if you Mm -hmm. give them some bread, you know, that was the first park my parents took me to when I was a little boy. Mm -hmm. I'm emotionally struck when you talk about that park, and I want to make one more point about it after this, which is those ducks have been living in that park for generation after generation. They're trained to come up to people. They're friendly. It's yeah. very easy to feed them old food and just grab them if you wanted to, right. if you intended the mill. And the other thing that's so shocking about your story is that park, if you know it, has... A lawn bowling league, and it has an office of like a sort of like a local Santa Monica Park Ranger because it's a Santa Monica park. They have an office right there. There's always someone at that park there to supervise the pond or supervise the play areas or work with the tennis courts. How is there no city officials on a Saturday afternoon when the park is packed with people seeing what happened and immediately calls the police and takes a picture themselves? So true. Dereliction of duty on the official part, too.
1: Yeah. Well, look—it's a—it's a—it's a culture where, you know, it, where, where our manhood is considered irrelevant or anachronistic or simply primitive, and and it's—we dare not get to that point. We, we 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 really need to re-explore manhood. We need to re-embrace manhood. Let me tell you a story. re
2: erect manhood. Yeah,
1: if you that's, that's want fine. A
2: perfect play on words.
1: Okay. Yeah, you got that word in there, Ari. Yeah. Okay, good. I mean, I'm with you, but we need to recreate manhood. Look, yesterday, just yesterday, I had a... um, I went to pick up my son from from basketball. You'll like this story, Ari. Didn't tell it to you yet. Where there was a game. um, My son's team uh, played another uh, school's team, and the game went fine. And at the end of the game... Some of the boys wanted to do a pickup game, and so it was played. And my son was among them. My son is a great boy. He's, he's a gentle boy, but he fights when he has to fight. He has clarity in that department. I like to think I've given him that clarity. And there's a boy on the team who's a little bit... Uh, he doesn't have a cool head about him. He's he's a little bit uh, hot headed, and you know he he's the one who gets to kind of push and pull everyone on the on the court. But if anyone you know pushes him a little bit, well then he gets just he goes
2: ballistic. His name is Donald.
1: Okay, whatever. The point is that Trump.
2: he. Yeah.
1: No, I understand. Okay, let's 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 move from there. He. So this boy you know, decided to misunderstand what my son was doing as he was reaching for a ball and the, you know, maybe his, his elbow kind of hit the, the shoulder of this, of uh, this boy and my, and this boy started swinging at my boy. Okay. And then immediately there, I, I didn't have to say anything. I was far enough away from the court. I was I was seeing it all happen. And my son just started pounding back. Good. I, oh, of course. It's it's it. No no doubt about that. But but follow me with this story as I go along because it's not just about that. And you know he didn't. It was clearly he didn't want to be in the fight, but by golly he's in the fight and he's just going to do it. Boom 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 like that. And the uh, the father of the of the other boy, you know, grabbed him and said, you know, knock it off, cut it out. You go over here and he had gave him a timeout, basically. And um, my son comes walking back, no tears, nothing. As if nothing happened, just cool, like Took just Total cool kid. I mean, just love this kid, and um, like, like uh, you know, focus on homework, or whatever it is, you know. And I said, I just gave him a thumbs up. I said, nice, nicely handled, Max. You're a real, you're becoming a real man. And he goes, thanks. And it was really just nice to see him. And
2: yeah, um, we know he's gonna protect us.
1: Oh, he's. <laughs> I, 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 I've, I've got him good. And he's just, just a really decent kid. And the father came back and he, he, he more or less apologized for his kid and, and he made that boy apologize to my son. And, and I made the two of them, I they made my son shake hands with him saying, don't worry about it, it's cool, we're, we're done with it. It's part of that mail code, right? Yeah. And the, here's the part that's interesting to me. I mean, was, you know, I, I'm, I'm thrilled that he fought back and this is about, and I thought, there were other parents there who'd watched this whole thing. And I got texts this morning from a couple of them saying, oh, my gosh, this is for an event. I hope it doesn't. And I just and I wrote back, what are you talking about? It was done the minute it was done. Just let it go. Boys are being boys. This is what they do. okay?" And one of the girls saw it and she wanted to ask my son all about it. Like, what happened? What did it
2: No, She wanted to ask him to go on a date. Probably.
1: Exactly. she, 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 She likes him. It's clear. And um and he was just so cool about it like oh what you know so cool to see this and the mother of the girl who's saying this you know what it was all about you know this is a, right after the fight um she says oh it's okay it's okay sweetie uh, we're we're not going to talk about this we're not going and i just why not what, what, whatever you, and, and he would say well you know this kid wanted to punch me and i punched him back that's the way it is it happens but no it's it, they made it this big thing it's like You know, this should happen now. No doubt I'll I'll get a call from the school at some point saying, What happened here and then? And I'm just thinking to myself, Mothers, don't you want your child to be fighting back just like my child did? What would you prefer? Would you prefer your husband, for that matter, to be somebody who didn't fight back? What would you prefer? And I put it to you, to each of you ladies out there. And all of the girls, they want somebody who fights back, who stands up, and that's, that's what my son did. And he's a, a brave boy. He's really becoming a man. And, um, and the fact that he didn't break a sweat in the process, not one tear about it, not even an emotional intense intensity in his face, like his eyebrows furled or you know, knitting in a, in a way that uh, shows this deep passion to anger, Nope. Just, you knew the program, knew what to do, and did it. How do you like that, right? If X happens, you do Y. Thank you, right? Come again. (laughs) Yeah. And, And I told the father, I said, listen, you know, your son is your son, and we like him and such like that. I just want you to know, I've told Max, anytime that some kid punches him, he punches and wails on him as much as he likes. Okay, so... Just yeah. want you to know, it's, it's fair just, warning. It's just business. It's just business, <laughs> right? Okay. That doesn't mean that he should, you know, pulverize him to the point that he loses his eyesight. No, that's or, bad for business. That's bad for business. Yeah. But just, you know, enough to, to make it not worth his and while to do it again. Send a message. Send a message. Yeah. I like this. Um, anyway, that's it's about manhood, right? And and it's so it was so interesting. And this is the real part of the story was how the other parents viewed the whole thing. And how it was so shocking to them that th- this notion of a fight could ever happen on this campus, I said, yeah, that's what, that's what boys that's do. that's
2: what this campus needs.
1: Yeah. A well, that, That's team. right. Yeah, exactly. Boys will do it. But not only that, but they need to respond. Okay? You just have to do it. Otherwise, you're going to have bullies all over the place. And you want to stop bullies? Well, then my, my boy is, is the antidote to bullies. Thank you very much.
2: Because what you saw at that park... That Saturday was a bunch of bullies.
1: Yeah, that's right. To to you know defenseless turtles.
2: Yeah, well, and all the people around who were intimidated to punch Biff in the face. Yeah. Oh, they were terrified. It was a chilling atmosphere. I wonder how afraid they'll be go- to go
1: back to the park again, because once you see something like that, oh, and you it, don't go back. Once you see something like that in a pristine and otherwise placid and safe zone that you've always thought to be a safe zone, it, it forever torments your your memory of it, right? It, it does dilute it, or sorry, taints it, I right. say.
2: Right, it makes you not want to go back. If you go to Disneyland and you're having a great time, you go on the teacup ride and someone vomits on you on the teacup ride, it doesn't wreck the teacup ride, it wrecks all of Disneyland. Well, that's true. You, understand, it, you will never unsee that, unsmell that, unfeel it.
1: Well, I, I agree with you about what you said, but can I make it a more apt analogy? You go to Disneyland and you're a woman... And somebody starts feeling your buttocks, okay? Grabs you and takes hold in a perverted way. And it's only five seconds. And then he runs away, okay? You're, you haven't been raped.
2: Yeah, but you've been molested. But you've been molested. Yeah.
1: And it's only five seconds, but you'll never forget that. And you'll always view Disneyland that way.
2: That's right.
1: Now, I'm not... Maloney Disneyland. I'm I'm assuming it never happens there. We're
2: bringing Disneyland an example because it's a wonderful place people enjoy.
1: Right. I'm simply saying if it were to ever happen, I'm not saying that it does happen there, God forbid. I'm simply saying it would taint your vision of Disneyland forever or any other amusement park, right? That's that's the point. And, uh, you know, I love Disneyland. To me, it's only a great place. Uh, You know, my kids have only had a great experience there. But something, God forbid, happened like that, uh, you know maybe we'd ultimately go there, we'd be rational enough to realize, okay, that crap won't happen again because it hasn't happened in the, you know, 40, 50 years that I've been on the planet. And uh, if, it, if it'll happen again, it'll happen when uh, we're 100 years old. So that that's the way I would think. But nevertheless, it still taints it. It's, okay, there's that time I went to this amusement park and this bad thing happened. That's right. And you're, it, it's a... What happened to the turtles it was a bit of a a molestation of the eyesight of the children and for that matter the grown ups that were watching all this and to some extent, I was also because I heard the story after the fact, and i I could do nothing about it
2: and you saw the people who did it it 's like seeing murderers it 's like it 's like driving up uh, bandit canyon when the when the mansons are leaving. The, the Tate House and, and you have no idea what they have done and then you find out oh they did that oh my god yeah. the they, place is never the same uh, right. th- there's like a lingering essence of that moment right. forever and, and to, to the point about the general direction our society is going to because Santa Monica is an exceptionally gorgeous place there's another park down farther, Wilshire, near 7th Street, a beautiful park with a couple tennis courts, that's become overrun with vagrants. Mm-hmm. There are no children in that park anymore. When I was a kid, my parents took me to that park, too, to play in. And it's a beautiful park. Uh, it has no pond like Douglas Park, but it's another beautiful Wilshire mm-hmm. Boulevard Park in Santa Monica. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's a pristine, beautiful location with old trees and the whole bed. And because Santa Monica does not get rid of these vagrants, it's become an untenable place to bring children yeah. or even adults. The only things in the park now are vagrants. they vagrants, yeah, I know. I, Sleeping, laundering, I, vomiting, shooting heroin, got no, do, doing all that vagrant stuff, as yeah. you can imagine. Stuff that and vagrants do. And, and to the, the greater <laughs> point you're making, it's mm. because in the aggregate, mm. there's been no maleness pushback against right. any of these things that... The vacuum of maleness has been filled with this perversion.
1: Right, it's this tug and pull between, you know, maleness, meaning standing up to do what's right, and the pushback to say, no, there's got to be a better way, a more loving way, right? Which is typically more feminine, more compassionate, right? And look, compassion is a lovely thing, but as Dennis Prager says, uh, on the individual basis, it's it's appropriate. Uh, That's when you go to. Uh, the soup kitchens during Thanksgiving and you help out the homeless there. I, I, hang on, hang on. There's hang an on.
2: even better example of compassion. Now let me as the producer stop right there. Compassion is when your son, after he defeated the bully, stopped because he realized he had done enough. Okay, I appreciate that, but, like you said, but, but let me go through this. Okay, okay? soup kitchens.
1: All right. So the k- soup, k- soup kitchens, that, but, but it's a different thing than to, to make a whole law saying that if you're a homeless person, you can go ahead and, and sleep wherever you want, because it does affect us all. And uh, and, and we need somebody to stand up as a, as a, in a male sort of way and say, cut this crap out. Not just the turtles. But it's a it's about the, the reckless, uh, reckless uh, disregard of standards in our society. We need to we need to jump in there and say there are certain standards we must abide by, and I expect that from everyone. Okay, and that at some point we need to jump up and say, you know, you can't wear torn clothes. You can't you know start leering at my children. You can't you know, leer at my wife or whatever it might be. You know, we have to have certain decorums of, of conduct. And it takes some strength to be able to say, I ain't going to take that crap. Okay, And it takes a, a sort of a male strength. And yes, women can do this too, by the way. Don't get me wrong. But it, it, it brings out kind of a male side of their nature. That's all I'm saying. And we want to bring out that male side. Much more so. There's a reason why we have female and male, my friends. We have been abandoning the male. And the more we embrace the good that male does give us, the the more we can actually improve our society, move forward in in the most loving and safe society we could ever hope for and want. This is Barack Lurie. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk with you next week.